Um, boy, it's so sweet to be here with uh, such a sangha. It's just great. It's, it's, it's the refuge of sangha. It's great. I'm so pleased. When Gil asked me to uh, come and talk to you guys today, some of you, probably everybody knows this is September 11th. Um, uh, Katrina had not happened. So when I started thinking about uh, what kinds of things I was going to say, Katrina kept creeping in because both 9-11 and Katrina are huge events uh, huge social events, and there's some some real similarities. Um, so although the focus is 9/11, um, what major trauma does for us, whether personally, you know, when we get the diagnosis we don't want, we lose a friend we don't want to lose, things happen to us personally, or when they happen to us culturally, they're they're huge. Um, transformative events in our lives. And um, let me just ask if there's anyone here who lost anyone on not at 9-11. And is anyone here uh, a refugee from Katrina? Most of us know about the events because uh, through the media, Sometimes I think of the media as sort of the seventh sense base. Um, you know, the Buddha talks about the six sense bases are our five senses and the mind. And the media is sort of our seventh sense base because it really brings experience, it brings information uh, about the world to us that we don't otherwise experience. Here we sit uh, in this room, and, you know, much like the Buddha, in a, in a level of affluence. Um, and relative safety. And in the midst of this, we get media reports, we get experience about uh, the suffering in the world. The Buddha's wake-up calls were, um, his experience, his discovery, his seeing the uh, old person, the sick person, and the dead person. And... Um, and also the, the uh, samana, the, the uh, monastic who had gone forth. Major transformative events like these are um, wake-up calls for us. They're the divine messengers for us. In the same way that, uh, that, that uh, old age sickness and death became for the Buddha. And the question for us really is how to hold these events, how to understand them, how to, how to understand them in ways that are um, both meaningful and compassionate. Um, because usually the reactions we have, are, our initial reactions to them are not uh, compassionate. Anger, fear, uh, despair, Helplessness are usually the things that come up that we uh, that we find arising, and those are um, pretty painful. We see the worst and the best. You know, it's amazing. We see um, in both in both 9/11 and and the Katrina response uh, and the Katrina events. We see, you know the best in people. There was, you guys see the clip of the, um, uh, the cameraman and the sound man and they're watching a car start to drift down the street and the, the sound man just dropped his equipment and ran into the, you know, the risk of his own life for someone he didn't know. He ran out and pulled this guy out of a car. Yeah. Pretty amazing, just the guy doing his job. On the other hand, you know, I, I think of all the images, you know, of, uh, of um, and this is all, all TV, of course, <laughs> you know, my, my seventh sense base, um, which with its own bias, you know, uh, 
if, if you've been paying attention to, to Katrina, or if you've been paying attention to the media, nobody died in Iraq this week. You know? uh, um, the, Afghanistan didn't even exist. Uh, we're paying, you know, it, and if, if you, if you, depending on which stations you watch, um, if you watch Fox, uh, it's the local officials who are to blame, and if you watch CNN and everybody else, it's uh, federal response. So you know, each of these, each of these sense organs uh, has its own bias, just as our sense organs do. But it, the image, the other image that stands out was this. One which you may have seen is just this, uh, just this beautiful black man, just you know, muscular and strong, with a huge, uh, looked like a railroad tie, slamming it into the glass door in the front of a bank, (laughs) trying to break into the bank. And the stories about, uh, I was listening to NPR last night about the, the uh, police and the National Guard who weren't letting people out of New Orleans. You could walk over the bridge into, into Algiers. They weren't being allowed out. Uh, you know, all of these images, these stories, they create reactions, sadness, uh, anger. Uh, for me, anger has been the one just, un- every event just makes me, you know, um, these these it's, it's just huge. I actually think that this is watershed stuff for the for for our society. But the as a wake up call, it is it's a profound wake up call, and um, it sent the it sent the Buddha off in search of enlightenment. Um, and for us. Uh, you know, we can try to bring some of the lessons, some of the perspectives of the Dharma uh, to our experience uh, with, um, with both 9-11 and Katrina and, and uh, try to fashion some kind of understanding that um, is skillful. Um, the three characteristics I find is a helpful start almost all the time. Uh, the characteristics of our experience, the impermanence, the unsatisfactoriness, and the, the not-self quality. Impermanence, of course. Um, you know, people went to New Orleans. I was listening to uh, uh, some uh, paramedics. They had a conference in New Orleans, and they were at a hotel. And, uh, you know... They didn't go to New Orleans thinking they were going to be part of a, you know, big event. Uh, and then, of course, trying to get out was tough for them. But it just it just happened. You know, if you if we think of ourselves, we built this relatively permanent, we think, you know, kind of um, world around us. You know, our office desk is there all the time, or wherever. You know, but if your office desk was on the 104th floor of the 102nd floor of the World Trade Center. Uh, one morning, it's not there the next. You know, even even the uh, the basic uh, underpinnings of our lives are impermanent. Uh, we don't like that. We don't like the impermanence. You know, I mean, here's the the, the uh, headline in the Chronicle this morning: the quest for national security. We don't like this impermanence business. <laughs> and we certainly don't like the fact, this, the second characteristic, the unsatisfactoriness, the, the dukkha quality of all of our experience. We don't like that either. You know, um, boy, we'd like to do something about that. And Anada doesn't make a lot of sense sometimes, you know, not self. Basically, um, the notion there is that Whatever we think is going on, whatever we think is going on about ourselves, but about other things too, is delusory. Christopher Titmus likes to say, "Everything you think is wrong." <laughs> <laughs> um, we don't like the impermanence. We don't like the unsatisfactoriness. We don't like the um, 
assaults on our identities. Look at how we respond. I, I remember as we were about to go into Iraq uh, the second time, uh, 2002, a lot of the people were a lot of people were carrying signs, not in our, not in my name. You know, the the identity that we have as Americans. That you know, we talk about not self. Well, here's an identity that causes us pain. You know, not in our name. We are in Iraq. Look what we are doing. You know, we feel, and, and then in, in uh, it's, let's fall out from 9-11. And then with Katrina, national shame. You know, we're all feeling. Um, you know, what should we do? Na- national security, we're part of that. You know, it's, uh, we identify ourselves with this, uh, you know, as, as Americans, we, uh, you know, uh, and, and we, we suffer with, that, with those identities. Um, and out of that, we react. And we react pretty much unskillfully, you know. Uh, it calls for war and calls for peace. You know, war is, is sort of a, um, a habitual response, you know, anger, and uh, to attack back. Um, and it comes out of our, our habitual understandings about the way things are, um, which, of course, um, <laughs> are delusory, you know. Um, most, you know, most of us, a lot of us have, have heard um, Joseph Goldstein's example about the Big Dipper. You know, you go outside and you look up and there are seven stars, that the Big Dipper, and they, they point to the north. So actually, there are eight. You know, in the handle, there's, there's the middle star in the handle. There's a, a small star above it. And um, it's, very, it's very faint. And um, it, it, my understanding is, what, what I learned when I was young, uh, was that that little star, uh, the pair is Mizar and Alcor, Alcor is the little one, uh, if you could see that star, you, your eyesight was good enough to get into the Arabian army. <laughs> and uh, it, it was harder to see then, I think. But, you know, you, you look up and there are these stars, the Big Dipper, and really, there is no Big Dipper. I mean, we, we look up and we actually see it, but there's no Big Dipper. It's, it's a conceptual overlay that we put on the stars. Now, I've, I've heard that story, I don't know, a dozen times, and that example a dozen times. But... You know, if you apply it to other things, there's, is there, there's no Iraq war. The Iraq war is a conceptual overlay. It doesn't change anything to know that there isn't a Big Dipper, that it's just a concept that we overlay on you know, the experience we have. It doesn't change any of that stuff. It just lets us see what part is our concept what, and what part is uh, other experience. Um, the Iraq War, we see it maybe as the Iraq War. Not ever, I don't think you'd quite see it that way if you were watching Al Jazeera as your primarily, primary media uh, seventh sense door. Um, and it doesn't change anything that's going on there. But it says, okay, just to even conceptualize it that way, uh, is a shorthand for a whole bunch of stuff that we get reactive about. We get reactive to the idea. Um, and then we, we create judgments in reaction to those ideas we have. So we have all these thoughts in our head. Here we sit in this wonderful room with, you know, just the best companions we could have and in our mind we have images of carnage and 
horror and things that we react to. They're, they're all thoughts in our mind. The, the Iraq War, George Bush, he seems to have played a role in both Katrina and 9-11. Now, there's no George Bush. Certainly what we think of him. Whatever ideas we have. Um, but we react to the ideas we have of these things. We get angry. You know, the Buddha's second sermon, the fire sermon, our senses are on fire. They're on fire with, with uh, desire and aversion and delusion. But aversion in this case, a lot of anger. Uh, certainly, speaking for myself. Um, And if 9-11 showed us anything, it showed us the incredible power of anger and delusion. What what anger and delusion in the human mind can do. Um, And we certainly don't want to walk, to act out of anger and delusion. Because when we do, we make things worse. Um, I remember listening I don't know whether it was this last uh, holiday season or the year before but there was a there was a uh, and maybe it was Talk of the Nation on NPR I'm I'm an NPR junkie I gotta confess Um, and and the the story was about how to how to survive Christmas dinner or maybe it was Thanksgiving dinner um (laughs) And they had, you know, their panel of psychologists and counselors and, you know, and they talked about And people were calling up and saying, how did my mom's always on my case because I'm not married yet and my brother-in-law is just, and he's going to be drunk by 10 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, I, it was just one after, it went on, you know, talked this an hour of this stuff. And, and, and all of these people were giving advice. You know how, what, how to deal with this, how to, and what I noticed was that no, but none of the none of these experts said, "Don't you be the asshole at the table." <laughs> you know, it was all st- strategy for one thing or another. Nobody said, don't, be, don't make things worse. You be the one not to make things worse. When we act out of anger and delusion, we make things worse. We certainly make things worse for ourselves. You know, if you think of, if you think of George Bush, now maybe there, there may be some of you here who enjoy him. <laughs> there are a lot of people who enjoy him. Maybe it's, uh, what's his name, Brown, who just uh, lost his job. Pick any of those people. When you, have, when you think, when you conjure images, those images, or the, the image of the, the, uh, the trooper who ran everybody off the, the or the National Guard, who wouldn't let people walk into Al- over the bridge into Algiers because they were black. We're not, you know, we're not going to let Algiers turn into the convention center, was what they said. Which basically, when you think of that, when you conjure that idea, we suffer because our reaction is painful, isn't it? I mean, you know, that's our reaction to those images, to those, to what we think of as those people, as those events. That's that's the suffering. That's the that's the unpleasantness. Um, so the trick is to be able to come to some kind of understanding that um, is skillful, that doesn't cause us suffering, that doesn't lead us to act in ways that make matters worse. Right. So that so that Christmas dinner and everything else is not we aren't we aren't stirring the pot. 
Um, you know, the mind, in, in my experience, the mind just generates thoughts. It's sort of like the bubble machine, you know. Um, can't turn it off. <laughs> I, was in, remember that, was the, I don't know if anybody remembers the bubble machine. <laughs> uh, Lawrence Welk's bubble machine, you know. <laughs> turn off the bubble machine. And, you know, the mind just generates that stuff. And, um, you know, I haven't found a way to stop it. So the trick is not to try to stop it, but to, but to hold the, that in a way that, that um, doesn't cause suffering. And to try to figure out how to create constructs that are skillful, that, that attenuate suffering rather than enhance it. Um, that's really the trick. You know, the judgments, when we, when we look, you know, the blame game, that's, that's the, uh, the current uh, administration phrase to... Uh, very clever, you know, they're really good at that. They're very, very good, very skillful at uh, creating conceptual constructs that um, uh, deflect blame. Um, but, but um, you know, we, we point the finger somewhere. Everybody wants to point. In, in politics, there's, politicians recognize something called Lamb's Law. It was a governor in um, uh, Colorado, I believe. And Lamb's Law was, you know, when you have a disaster, when you have something go wrong, find someone, execute them, and go on. Find someone to blame and move on. Um, but you know we're all responsible. It's not just that. It's not just that there wasn't anything sent to New Orleans on time. We've all been part of 30 years of, you know, cultural starving the government. You know, we've been part of that. Uh, but you know, it's been 30 years. We think government is not good. We don't support our communal community activities, our community resources. The resources are. You know, the only resources that are there are the military left. Um, we're all part of that. We want to think someone else. It's all, you know, we're all, we're all in this. So the blame game, caught, you know, the judgment that we have about responses, about the war uh, that followed from 9-11, about the responses to Katrina, we're all involved in that. And we want to sort of, you know, somewhere else. Um, and we've all got arguments about why it's true that, you know, um, and, but the issue isn't whether a particular idea is true or false. These ideas, these delusions that we, that we live with and use to navigate with, um, the issue isn't whether they're true or false, although that's our, you know, that's our habitual, uh, that's the way we relate to them. Is it true that, you know, and George Bush says, nobody thought that the levees would break. You know, and then everybody said, well, yeah, everybody thought the levees, that's false. Everybody knew that the levees were going, no, it's true or false. Um, but the question isn't whether it's true or false. The question is whether the ideas that we hold will enhance suffering or attenuate suffering. The Buddha said he taught only two things, you know, suffering and the end of suffering. Not true and false, you know, or right or wrong, you know, uh, but to recognize the, 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 the truth of suffering, the existence of suffering in our experience. We just don't see it. We think it pops up every once in a while and the rest of the time it's, not, it's in abeyance. It's, you know, in, in everything. And um, so the trick is to, the trick is to um, look at these ideas we have and see whether they enhance or attenuate suffering. And when they enhance suffering, 
well, you know, it's a clue. <laughs> you know? It's, it's all the Buddha's nice words, you know? Let none despise another. No, let none. Uh oh. It's let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. And we think, how sweet. Any being, George Bush. Don't despise George Bush. Don't despise Muhammad Atta. Don't despise any being in any state. Greater the mighty, medium, short or small, omitting none. That's tough. That's tough. We have all these opinions about stuff. Opinions about everything. We're bathed in opinions. You know, I mean, if 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 someone if someone said they didn't have an opinion about George Bush, you'd sort of think, where have they been? You know, right? Yeah, we we have, you know, the polls. More than two thirds of Republicans said Bush is doing a greater good job, according to CNN today. Gallup poll out Wednesday. About two-thirds of the Democrats say he's doing a bad job. Uh, government performance is somebody else's poll. 10% said George Bush had done a great job in responding to the hurricane. 25% said good. 21% neither good nor bad. 18% said bad. You know, I mean, it goes on and on. We've got opinions about, you know, uh, whether we ought to eat eggs or whether we ought to eat, you know, egg beaters. I mean, oh, oh yeah, I mean... Uh, we've got opi- opinions. Um, these opinions are these are you know these are the delusory thoughts that we act out of. Does anybody have Gill's the the new translation of thanks no no I was Gill's uh, <laughs> there's there's a clock out there I'm watching the clock. So you want me to wind this up? You go, you go like this. That's a, it's this, isn't it like this? Or something? Um, of his new, his new translation of the Dhammapada in here, with, with, with you right here. Oh, rats, because I, I, it's wonderful, by the way. It's just really great. I spent a, a, a couple of days with it, um, looking through it. And, but I, you know, what's worn a groove in my mind is somebody else's translation. So I'm going to, you know, I'd love to be able to read Gill's, but... You know, the opening, the opening uh, couplets in the Dhammapada, mind is the forerunner of all things. Think or act with a corrupted mind and suffering will follow like the wheel follows the, the, the cart, the wheel on the cart follows the hoof of the ox. Mind is the forerunner of all things. Think or act with a pure mind and happiness will follow you unshakable like a shadow. So the opinions that we have, if they're delusory, if they are unskillful, if they cause us suffering even to hold them in our mind, and if we then act out of them, particularly out of anger, then we're that person at the table we should not be. You know, from deluded opinions come unskillful actions. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. No. That's tough. Wanting to see these people get their comeuppance It's tough. It's painful. Um, there's, I have a little, uh, a little sign over my, over my, um, my computer. It sits up there, and it's a, it's a quote. It's, it's such a convoluted. I don't know who translated this. It's from the Sutta Napada. It says, I'll, I'll say it, and then I'll say it several times because it's that. Say the wise is a fetter. Independence on which one regards another as inferior. 
that, say the wise, is a fetter in dependence on which one regards another as inferior. Whatever the basis for judgment that we've got, that we use, is a fetter. It's not blissful experience. The Buddha had, you know, the Buddha pointed this out. These are areas for us to work on when we find them in ourselves. Um, You know, the real place, the real place of safety, the real place, where do we, where do we, where can we find safety? You know, this, this quest for national security, you know, and impermanent experience, experience that cannot be satisfactory, when most of our understanding of it is in some way or another diluted, right down to the notion of who we are and who, what everything else is. If we're confused about, I mean, that's basically what anatta is about. If we're confused about who we are, then we're certainly confused about what everything else is. Now the Buddha says, the the Buddha says the refuge is um, the awakened mind. The awakened mind is a a refuge in the Buddha, in the awakened mind, because the awakened mind isn't going to um, in the the awakened mind isn't going to generate delusional states that um, will act out of and make things worse. We will see clearly, we will see our opinions as opinions. We'll see thoughts as thoughts. The Buddha said, in the seeing only the seeing, in the hearing only the hearing, through the five senses, and the sixth, in the cognizing, only the cognizing. We see our opinions as opinions, recognizing them for the ephemeral things that they are. We'll see you know, in the, in the anger and the fear that come up, underneath all that is a real deep caring, which is, you know, what's generating some of, some of that anger. We care. There's, you know, the, the compassionate heart is present in us um, at all times. It's just that sometimes our reactivity, because we're hurting, our reactivity is not uh, skillful. There's a, a uh, when when the when the um, when when we recognize the caring underneath and can act from that, from the compassion, from that, that compassionate resonance, rather than from the anger that comes from not wanting to feel that pain. And we don't want to feel the pain. And, and you know, for me, it's, you know, that anger is, you know, no. Not wanting to feel that pain. But we can, gen- out of compassion, we can generate we will generate skillful action. You know, some of the people, you know, you see, you see anger in the heart of the peace movement. You know, aversion in, in the heart of, of, you know, I remember in the, in the 60s there was a group in, the, in, in New York called the Fugs and uh, they had a great kill for peace. <laughs> Far or near or very Middle East, kill, kill, kill for peace. But if we can stay in touch with, if if we can allow that pain, we don't want to feel the pain, so we create more suffering. If we can allow the pain and work, compassion is, is being present for the suffering of another. 
being present in the face of suffering. It's the quivering of the heart. It's, it's, that, it's that, that feeling that we don't want to have. We don't want that pain. So we, it's like scratching that itch. We get angry. But if we can respond out of compassion rather than out of aversion and anger, our responses will be, will be more skillful. And we won't be sitting at the table making matters worse. There's a poem by, by uh, David Budbill, which I will end with, which is um, called What Isa Heard. Isa was the Japanese uh, haiku poet. And he says, 200 years ago, Isa heard the morning birds singing sutras to the suffering world. I heard them too this morning, which must mean, since we will always have a suffering world, we must also always have a song. I thank you for your attention and invite comments or questions. 9-11 is today, and when you go out, the media is going to be, it'll be a big show. And, you know, I watched last night and I watched this morning, and I, you know, there wasn't anything new. Um, It's just reviving what we've already heard, the, the, the same, inspiring the same reactivity. But uh, it's, it's big and we're going to be awash in it today. Please. Um, you mentioned polls, and most of the polls that I've read, there's always 6% or so. There's always 6% or so that's say, no opinion or don't know. And I always think, ah, Buddhists. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, don't we wish. Thank you for your talk today, uh, especially that you chose to get into the grit of it, because I think very often as speakers and our sangha we dance around some very um, current events because we don't want to offend any um, sangha members that may not have that view or a different view. And I think you very um, uh, efficiently pulled it all together without offending anyone. I don't think you did, and yet still managed to deal with what we're all dealing with. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Um, I, oh, I, I just wanted to make a comment. You mentioned that uh, nothing new, and it made brought to mind something I remember reading, I think it was in uh, Hamlet and Shakespeare, and where he said, um, uh, nothing is either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. To me, it is a prison. And uh, a lot of what you said today re- reminded me of that. Shakespeare was not bad. <laughs> uh, you talked a lot about the media. Uh, that happens to be sort of my business. I work a lot in the entertainment industry, and um, there's a concept called dead air. You never put out dead air, and so it generates. It's like uh, it's like the mind, the monkey mind. There has to be something on the box when when it's on, and so a lot of this that you see is just trying to feed the monster that has to have no dead air. And and it's not just it's not just dead air that's the issue. It's what the purpose is. I mean, there's this. You know, this isn't this isn't the Buddha here. This is. <laughs> but you know, there's this there's this sense the media is supposed to reflect what's going on. The news media is supposed to reflect reality. You know, we, then I, there was some guy else. I was shaving. I'm watching this. The, the TV's on. I don't know. 
what can I say? Um, and he was saying, what we want to do is just point the camera at it and record it. And that's sort of the image of what the news is. But really, the news is trying, you know, their job is to draw a crowd. I think of them as the, like the barker outside of a circus tent. You know, they're supposed to draw the crowd so that you can, you know, advertise, you know, Cialis or whatever, you know, um, try to sell more of this or that. So it's, it's, you know, it's dead air, but it's also, you know, we've got we've to attract the craft. So, so there's this sense, this sense door is, uh, has got a, a, a pretty virulent uh, agenda. <laughs> yeah, there's, well, there's, yeah. Hi, um, I would like to hear your opinion. I heard a lot about, in the news, about the word, using the word God both on the events of 9-11 and Katrina. Um, on both ways, I heard people in the Middle East say, oh, it's the wrath of God against America. Or, you know, um, also on, on our side, it's like, oh, God gives us the right and to revenge. You know, God is on our side. So what do you think about that? Well, you know, The word is, uh, is an idea that we hold in our mind, and probably no two people react. They have the same idea. Uh, I mean, the word, G-O-D, well, maybe it's Allah, or um, maybe you're into Vishnu. I don't know. Who are the Hindus into? <laughs> yeah, I guess it depends, right? So, you know, these are ideas that we have in our mind <coughs> to try to represent certain things to ourselves. Um, you know, the question again isn't whether it's true or false. Is my idea, is this idea correct or incorrect? Does this idea enhance suffering or attenuate it? Um, just you know, when you're when you're into you know, this is the wrath of chickens coming home to roost, or the wrath of God against them, where where God is on our side, is always on our side, um, or or maybe on the side of the of the rams. Um, you know, uh, I you know, because God roots for some team or other. Uh, uh, seems to be. Um, those it's ideas that we deploy in in our in whatever interests we have. Yeah. That's what I think. It's my opinion, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Um. I was curious about what you meant when you mentioned a watershed. Mm. I think you said a watershed of 9/11 and Katrina. Oh, is that right? Yeah, Katrina. Yeah. yeah. If you, I, I was yeah, very this is just this is that. this is not this is not uh, um, you know this doesn't come from my Buddhist studies. It just comes from an intuition that I have that uh, this is the the the. This is so huge, and the um, response is, I actually heard somebody talking about raising taxes to pay for things. Uh, what a surprise. Now, to actually hear that in the media, my gosh, I don't think I've heard that since, uh, well, it's been 25 years at least. That's, that's big. I think that, um, because I still think we're early on in this event. Um, we haven't heard the beginning of it yet, really. We're still it, just coming out of the initial shock. Um, and I think it's going to be very deep because it, it uh, um, will, will bring into question the way we relate to each other and how we hold this whole society in our, in our mind. 
and will lead to some very deep debate about that. That's what I mean. And I think that there's going to be some shifting of priorities. What the polls show that, you know, two weeks ago, um, security, international security, foreign affairs, biggest, most now, it's domestic affairs. I mean, even that, that shows up really quick. So I, th- I think that, that everybody is uh, reevaluating. Um, are, you know, are we really this inept? So I, I just think that it's got, the discussion is going to go very deep. Did you? Yeah, it's. Yeah. Oftentimes I catch myself, seldom, but a few times, where I realize that I'm about to form a strong opinion or a view about something that will lead to actually my suffering or the suffering of people. Do you have uh, any comment on what you do whenever you have that moment of realization? You have it. You can escalate it, or you can diffuse it. You know, I try to f- uh, I try to find my breath. Um, I I find my breath an incredible refuge. But just you know, a little bit of time with it. This is just my what I do. A little bit of time with it, um, even a few breaths. And all of the busyness just becomes part of the show. And all those opinions and the reactions and all of that stuff becomes part of the show. That's, you know, that's what I reach for. The idea isn't to combat it. You know, you can get one idea going against another. You know, it's a breath mint. It's a candy mint. It's a breath mint. It's a candy mint. Um, or more taste, less calories, more taste, less, you know. Uh, and, and we can, you know, and we do it with everything. We argue with, well, I shouldn't be this way. Yes, I should, because how can I let them do it? Because I, we didn't do it, you know. And that just goes round and round. So I find, you know, I, I, when, I, when I become alert that that's happening, that's where I reach, because it gets me out of that loop. So one more? Yeah. Yeah, but I think it went off. <laughs> thank you for a very sweet talk. <coughs> and um, thank you for the discussion that's followed. That's very um, calming to me and touching. And I wondered about dead air. I think that if we renamed it, that might be a pretty good thing for why we sit. What do you think? Dead air? <laughs> that is to the say, off switch. <laughs> yeah, that, that is to say, you know, leaving the receiver on, but turning the programming off. So we just get what Suzuki Roshi used to call the dark night, where we can just be aware when the lightning flashes. I'm not so sure it's a matter of turning the programming off. It's, you know, the programming is the bubble machine. So it's a matter of not getting tricked by the show. You know, Buddha Dasa had a, has a great phrase he, he calls um, the bait of the world. And, um, you know, we just we have to learn, train ourselves not to take the bait. So thank you. Oh, go ahead. One, one, I'm happy to sit here. I, you know, I, but, but I, I've, I've been warned. <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier that um, we are all, I guess, somehow contribute to the effect of Katrina. Mm-hmm. And um, you mentioned racism before as well. And um, 
I've been wondering to myself why that difference in response uh, with Katrina versus um, um, what's the other? 9/11. No. Um, tsunami, correct. Oh. And um, and um, Gil last week mentioned that you know during times of crisis is important to um, work on ourselves. Um, to go inside of ourselves and I have to also ask myself the question um, how much do I contribute to this and with regards to racism um, anyways well in terms of our response to the tsunami and our response to uh, Katrina, we seem to be generous financially. Um, the racism that has been so grating you know, in in New Orleans. Is stuff that we've sort of pretended wasn't there for a long time, and um, it's there. And to the extent that we pretend it's not there and act as if it's not there, we contribute. Probably a bunch of it around this neck of the woods. And some of it is, you know, racism is like the Big Dipper. It's, you can say there is no racism. But what is there? What's really there? Because racism is a word, we can say, "Well, if, you know," and, and we'll define it. This is how we do this, you know. We create a definition, and then we say, "Well, this definition doesn't match this." Well, then, I guess there's no racism here. So, there's stuff. Whatever you want to call it. There's a lot of stuff we don't like, we don't like, and we don't want to acknowledge. I'm not sure I have anything else to say about that. If you want to continue, we can <laughs> continue to talk. Or I thank you so much for your attention. <laughs>